you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I'm Rachel True. And I'm Trent Venegas. And you're listening to Quoting Gene Roddenberry. The 100-day podcast that celebrates what would have been the 100th birthday of that guy that created Star Trek. Each day between now and the end of our podcast, August 19th, one of Star Trek's biggest icons, or celebrity fans, or both, will be quoting Gene Roddenberry. Then we're going to take a deep dive into why we think this sci-fi legend still has a lot to say to the world. Today's quote is read by actress Michelle Yeoh. In Star Trek, I was able to comment on diversity the beauty of diversity, the fact the world has so many diverse elements. And we should be pleased the world has diversity rather than longing that everything be the same. So just as you heard, today's quote was read by Star Trek Discovery's Emperor Philippa Giorgio, played by Michelle Yeoh. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Josh Olson, who is a multi-talented man. Not only is he a Academy Award-nominated and BAFTA-nominated screenwriter. He's also a prolific podcaster. So because you're the wordsmith here, I want to give you a whack at this quote first, Josh. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, I um, obviously you guys sent the quotes over, and I, uh, but I didn't know that Michelle Yeoh read this one. And it goes right to a thing I experienced several years back, which was lovely. I mean, I'm you know, I, I'm an old lefty. I grew up in an incredibly uh, diverse neighborhood in West Philadelphia. It's actually so diverse. Somebody wrote a sociological textbook on it once. <laughs> but, you know, e- even still, I'm a straight white guy living in a world that is, you know, I think even to this day kind of run by straight white mm-hmm. guys. And as as much as I'm sort of conscious of this stuff, I remember one of the first times it ever really, really, really hit me on an emotional level. Uh, and I'm also aware of the fact the story I'm about to tell you, I could be projecting entirely on, on somebody. <laughs> um, I'm just assuming what somebody was thinking. But I remember going to see Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon uh, in L.A. And I, I loved the film. I was also someone who had seen, uh, you know, I'm a hardcore movie fanatic. I had seen a ton of kind of Chinese, um, you know, martial arts and, and fantasy uh, films already. So the genre of the film was not new to me. I mean, obviously it's a brilliant film and it's one of the greatest films in that genre, but it was not, it was not revelatory to me the way I think it was to a lot of audiences who had never seen anything like that. And I remember mm-hmm. having this kind of moment because it had been presented as this, you know, this movie, like unlike anything you've ever seen before. And I'm sitting there about 20 minutes into the film and I'm having this moment of like, oh, well, I have actually seen this film before, but eh, okay, it's, it's fun. And I turned around and there was this maybe 12 year old Asian girl sitting behind me and she's looking up at the screen in a way that I can't remember the last time I looked at a movie screen that way. It was like mm-hmm. she was just all mm-hmm. lit up. And I realized, yeah, I'm anytime I want to see what a straight, you know, a straight white guy in an amazing situation, kicking ass, taking names and ruling the world, I turn mm-hmm. on the TV. I go to a movie. But how often does does this this little girl get to go to a movie theater, a first run movie theater, 
and see an idealized version of herself mm -hmm. up on screen, kicking ass and taking names. And it was such a powerful experience. I was just like, I just remember feeling like an absolutely churlish monster mm -hmm. for having, you know, had any kind of issue with this. Film well, whatsoever. especially if we're talking about Asian representation, which is uh -huh. so far behind. I mean, I want to say, hey, black. And then I'm like, what about my Asian actor friends, man? So few jobs. So I mm -hmm. think the fact that you yeah. sat in that theater, took that moment in, means a lot to me as a not white male <laughs> that you even were aware of that. But I have a question for you. Were you near the uh, bombings in Philadelphia in the 80s when they bombed that block? Yeah, you were. I bet you. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, if, if uh, I'm, I'm actually working on a project about the, the move, the entire move story. I grew up one block away from move. Uh, I can tell. I felt it in you. I didn't even the, look that up, but I was like, I feel like he'll know. And if people don't know, uh, the American government actually bombed a block. He could tell. Josh could probably inform you much more. Incredibly don't complicated wanna, story. Yeah. Don't want to get off on that, but I yep. think. Uh, I would say for Josh, probably growing up around a little bit of diversity mm -hmm. sounds like it really helped. I grew up in New York City. I had uh, Chinese New Year festivals because we were right in the Lower East Side. So to me, I didn't know there wasn't a right. diverse world mm -hmm. until I, as a New York City kid, until I got older. And um, yesterday, someone pointed out it was the 25th anniversary of a film I was in called The Craft. And someone said, you were the first time I saw me. <laughs> Wow. The first time mm -hmm. for that wow. generation. And it meant a lot to me, not then, but now. Trent, what do you think about all this, about the quote in particular? Well, it's interesting because my diversity background, I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. So it was very, very white. I was the diversity on my block. So um, to see people of color on TV was really exciting for me because even though they weren't necessarily Mexican-American, it was nice to see that different colors and different cultures and ethnicities were, you know, featured in shows like Star Trek. And what I love so much about the fact that Michelle Yeoh is the one who read this quote, she plays Emperor Philippa Georgiou, who rules the entire universe. <laughs> and it, this is the character that she plays. I mean, when you're thinking about diversity, it's it's very easy to to discard that or, or maybe not to see the importance, as you mentioned, Josh, because it's it's not you don't really identify with it. But it's I love that you noticed the excitement. You saw the the look in that young girl's eyes and you, that you felt that, which I think is very, very powerful. I mean, again, as I say, I was projecting. It's possible she was going, oh, <laughs> no, no I, it's half an hour left. But I, th I, I think, think she probably was having that exact moment. Something I want to jump into is in this quote, it says we should be pleased that the world has diversity yeah. rather than longing that everything be the same. I personally think that longing or longing is um, taught. I think that's, uh, is it nature or nurture? Because yeah. I feel like if we, well, what do you say, Josh? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, and one of the ways to me to get around some of the taught rejections of that, I think, I thought about this a lot. I did a, um, the second season has just finished. I've, I've written every episode of a, uh, it's an audio drama. It's a podcast. It's my, my third podcast, I guess. It's called Bronzeville. It's a fictionalized a narrative drama about the numbers rackets in Chicago in the forties. Wow. It stars Lawrence Fishburne and Lorenz Tate wow. and Mackay Pfeiffer and Tika Sumter. And I'm, I am the only white person involved in it creatively. Uh, um, Do you feel like a minority or are you unaware? No, 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 not, oh, not at all. And what I was, you know, 
when I try to talk about doing it, because I think there's a lot of people who would make the mistake of going, you know, I don't know, this is our responsibility mm. to blah, 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 blah. To me, it really is. It just gets boring seeing the same mm -hmm. stories and places and narratives over and over and over again. I've seen all that stuff. So the fact that like, you know, forget, forget any sociopolitical issues. The fact that like, Hey, maybe if we start telling stories about other people's cultures that you haven't seen so much, it's going to open the door to a whole bunch of new and interesting narratives. Absolutely. Like, you know, that's, I think a way to get past some people's maybe, I think there's a lot of anxiety about, you know, sooner, sooner or later, my people are not going to be the dominant race in America. And I think some people are very afraid of that. And you haven't cracked in half when you said that. Like a <laughs> lot of people I've, no, I am, listen, people, I'm never not shocked by the amount of straight white men who complain to me about how unfair mm -hmm. with a straight face it mm -hmm. is without backing it up with, and I kind of understand now that this is maybe how everyone else has felt forever. Yeah, sure. They never say that. It's not my job to educate them. It's your job, Josh, because you're the white person here today. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, no, I, I agree. And and I think the way to do it is, is to not educate. You know, it's like the instant you, you start, you know, if they even smell that you're trying to educate them, they're going to head for the door. So I'm just like, hey, these are these are stories you haven't seen before because we haven't told stories about these people before. It's, and and, see something. and Gene himself, like he saw Star Trek as a way to make these comments, not just to entertain. I mean, we are all entertained. The fact that we are here all these years later, talking about these characters, talking about these shows, talking about these storylines that yeah. a lot of us have real genuine feelings for, like all these characters. I love these characters. I love yeah. these stories. Um, so not only was Gene Roddenberry able to entertain us, he was also able to comment on these things that that we are still living with today. Yeah. And it was he was a smuggler. You know, and I love those those people. Mm -hmm. he, he, yeah, I like that. Like, yeah, hey, it's 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 like it's like Buck Rogers meets Flash Gordon, and they're fighting aliens. You're like, hey, yeah. cool, awesome, and it's like you don't even notice what's being exactly underneath it all. Which I think is, is and good. that's what's so wonderful. Like, it's wonderful that he was able to smuggle those in because people f like may not have realized that. Oh wow, I'm actually learning something from this. Or yeah, you know. It was very ahead of its time and also mm -hmm. very of its time because mm -hmm. like uh, for me, for example, as like a mixed black chick, when they had the kiss, yeah. I was like, why is such a big deal? I see that every day, you know, even then. And I was obviously um, a Gen X kid. That was my babysitter, Star Trek. But right. I remember feeling in that moment, is it bad? I mean, I must cannot kiss you. That mm -hmm. whole yeah, that's, But I think that that's one of the things too. And I think it's a danger that people can fall into is judging art from a different time period by the standards of today. And the thing that I'm, I'm with you entirely, I mean, in case you don't know what we're talking about, it's a scene where, you know, Kirk and Uhuru uh, kiss on screen. It's a white man and a black woman kissing. on TV. This had never happened on television before, mm -hmm. but they built themselves the out of like, they're, they're being mind controlled. Right. It's against right. their will. Right. And you're like, right. if you did that today, actually you could do that today. Cause it's such a common thing. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, nobody would even notice. But but it's so they're playing it so safe. But you got to think for 1966, he it was figured out the only way to show that he figured out the way to do it. Yeah, it was it was very, it was absolutely daring, quote unquote, for the time. And mm -hmm. I'm so appreciative of uh, Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry for having a horror and having that in there. Yep. And Josh, you bring up a really good point, which is when we judge the past through our lens now. Mm. 
I think that's a bit of a dangerous trap we're in, but I'm also now a grown-up and I'm trying to learn to stay relevant and not say get off my lawn to the kids. Right. But but I but I see the folly in that. What do you think, Trent and yeah. Josh? Oh no, I, I agree entirely. It's like one of the very last conversations I had with my friend Harlan Ellison. We talked about um he talked about, you know, that that uh, you know, you look back at the fifties and sixties. And there were things that he did that if you did now, would you'd be destroyed mm-hmm. for. And yeah. rightly so. And these are things that he would do. I'm not giving up anything scandalous here. Things you would do in a crowded room full of people that no one would have a problem with. And judged by today's standards, you know, they were horrifying. And he said, we are trying to create a world in which the people who come after us look back at us and see monsters. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of it. Perfect. But you do have to look at something like this and not judge it by the standards of 2021, because, like I say, it's kind of heavy-handed and it's a little—they're kind of wimping out by mm-hmm. this and that. But for 1966, that was a nuclear bomb dropped on the country. absolutely. And and, G- and and Star Trek was one of the only shows doing that. Yeah, frankly. Yeah. So you can look at it and go, "Well, it wasn't the kiss I wanted," or. Or you can go, wait a second, that is the first one. Mm. How daring of him to show a black woman as a sexual object, frankly. Actually, yeah, of. as a matter of fact, yeah, you're, you're right. You're very right. And no, really. Like, there's things like, what's the, is it, uh, let that be your last battlefield with a half black, half white character. <laughs> yeah. They're taking on race. And it's also fairly heavy handed. And there's also this notion that like racism is something that's caused by both sides equally or not. You're like, no, wait, what the hell's the matter? But for 1966, you're making people think about it in a way they hadn't yet. But that was another one that made me think, am I supposed to look like that? Like with the half black and half white? Because they did the same thing on Bewitched, that same kind of polka dot on her Uh face. Anyway, I think for me to wrap it up, you guys, I think we live in a pretty, when I moved to California, I was like, it's so homogenous. Yes. Meaning, you, well, exactly. You know what I mean. But for the audience, I mean, everyone lives in these separate areas. You know, it's a little different now. So I moved to Venice when I first moved here for a little more diversity. But back to the quote, you know, I believe we'll be super happy about diversity and not long for things different once we set that paradigm, you know, that it is OK to live amongst different kinds of people. What do you think, Trent? Because Trent, your background is, uh, I don't know if you're mixed or not, but Mexican-American, right? And one thing I noticed in California was the attitude (laughs) towards Mexican-Americans who were here first. It always drove me nuts. And I always stood up to my white friends about that. (laughs) Honestly, I have to tell you, like, because I grew up in such a Caucasian and a white neighborhood, I learned a lot about my Mexicanness when I finally did move to California because mm-hmm. there were things that I learned that I Day of the Dead, Micheladas. I mean, there were things that I had no idea existed uh, until I came to, to live in California. <laughs> All right. If you guys want to um, see the visuals on that um, Michelle Yeoh quote, uh, you can go to the Roddenberry Facebook, Instagram, Twitter page. And we greatly want to thank Josh Olson, who we could obviously talk to forever, but he's got many podcasts of his own. What's the main one that you have now, Josh? You have a couple. What's the main one you would love people to listen to right now? Yeah, well, I, I sort of have to, if, um, uh, the movies that made me is a show I uh, co-host with Joe Dante, where we talk to filmmakers and artists and musicians and other people. In fact, Robert Picardo from Star Trek came on and talked to them about their favorite movies, not the ones they've been in, but the ones that have inspired them. And then I do a show called The West Wing Thing, where Dave Anthony, a great comedian, and I dissect every episode of The West Wing as a way into understanding, uh, forgive me, the show's 
terrible centrist politics and how they've led us to the hellscape that we're currently in. <laughs> I want to come on and talk about my love of time bandage. This is an Academy and BAFTA nominated screenwriter. We're super grateful you took the time today. Thanks so much, uh, Josh. And we have you all week. So we have plenty more conversations coming up ahead. So I can't leave. For a while. <laughs> <laughs> we have you now. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Quoting Gene Roddenberry. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's quote. So tweet us, post us, DM us, whatever. We're at Roddenberry on Twitter and Facebook and at Roddenberry Official on Instagram. Quoting Gene Roddenberry is a Roddenberry podcast hosted by me, Rachel True. And me, Trent Venegas. Producing are Claire Kramer and Kelsey Goldberg with executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Engineering and editing are provided by Elizabeth Joy Windham. And special thanks to all those who were kind enough to read a quote and give a voice to Gene Roddenberry's everlasting words. Live long and prosper. 